Application Program Interfaces, otherwise known as APIs, define how applications interact with each other. When a developer creates an API for other developers to consume, it is important to design that API intelligently. The best APIs are simple and clear, but also flexible enough to be useful for a variety of consumers. Andy Bayer has experienced a broad range of API quality in his role with Domo in creating integrations with other businesses. His mission is to standardize good API design practices with an emphasis on making the right information easily accessible without having to download more than necessary. He's worked on promoting standards to make APIs easier to create and consume. In this episode, Andy joins guest host Dave Rail for a conversation about API design standards. They discuss what makes for a good API and steps to move the broader technical community towards more useful and secure APIs. Dave is guest hosting the show, and he's also the host of Developer on Fire, which is a fantastic program about the stories behind engineers and how they became the engineer they are today. It's a great compliment to Software Engineering Daily, and I encourage you to check it out. Andy Beyer is a director of software engineering at Domo. Andy, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. Your focus on integrations and connecting various services in the wide, wild world of the internet probably led you quickly to some conclusions about the state of API proliferation and the need for standards. Why are API standards important? Well, yeah, and I, to be clear, one of the key things I'm focusing on, we have a tremendous amount of thought leadership around you know how to build a really good RESTful API. Certainly in the industry, and I've been with this for a very long time, there's not this debate in terms of what the web service technology is, right? Everyone's building basically to RESTful APIs. And, yeah. how, and then once, yeah, as you know, most of the listeners out there would, will know, as you do too, that REST is obviously not a strict protocol where things like XML RPC or SOAP are, were that way. It's more of a philosophy, right? And we've got all these great minds and frameworks and people really giving a lot of thought leadership towards, you know, how do you construct these RESTful APIs? How should it work? Um, But one of the things that I noticed in the course of my uh, duties at Domo with all the work we've done connecting to third-party APIs is that while there's a ton of thought leadership around that, there hasn't been as much leadership around the content of the APIs. And and one of the examples I like to use, and it's simple as this, which is HDTV, right? How interesting is your HDTV without the content? Sure, yeah. And so we have these great APIs, but we start to get in, and they're structured well, but when you start to get into the content, you're trying to pull through those APIs, and many of them uh, fall flat. You gave a picture there, right, of, of there are some existing standards, right? We're talking about HTTP kind of at a lower level and then REST, right, obviously writing on top of that. And then what you're talking about is kind of some, some standards for what is the content that rides on top of REST. And, and REST, I guess, you know, you, you pointed out that uh, it's varying degrees of standard, right? I mean, there's, there's some consideration of using HTTP verbs the way that they were intended and, and you know, using those for the, the actual proper actions that you want to do against an API, but that doesn't really tell you a whole lot more about the content. Am I characterizing kind of your position there? Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely correct. And to kind of further extend on that, 
there are some areas of it where example, I, I've, and I categorize APIs into three basic categories, which is essentially administrative, right? And so very familiar with that, right? It's like, I gotta get users into the system. I gotta get users into groups, kind of a management API, usually for a product or some kind of directory service. And in terms of trying to do anything we're trying to report, not terribly interesting, not to say that there aren't use cases for saying, hey, how many users do I have in this group or how many users do I have in the system? But taking a step back, what I find far too common the case is people have an API and it's essentially what I call a base state API, where if I wanna ask a question and that question might be, how many sales did um, you, know, you have last quarter? Uh, I would have to basically pull every day of the entire last 90 days and then bring it all into my system and then run an aggregation on it. Um, as opposed to the third type of API, which is a reporting API, where I could just simply say, you know, how much, how, what were the total sales last quarter metric and dimension and get that answer. Sure. So there's a place for all of those, right? I mean, obviously you want to be able to do the administration tasks and those kinds of things, and there's really no substitute for that. The uh, the base data APIs are probably useful for some of those non-standard cases, right? I, th I think a lot of kind of uh, the, the idea of adapters in, uh, in in design patterns or kind of the idea of, um, of an anti-corruption layer in domain-driven design, right? The idea that you've got some way of speaking to a, a particular system in different ways ways for different needs. And those those reporting APIs are probably most of your use case. Uh, those base data APIs are probably useful too for to give you more flexibility in those times when uh, your use case may not be covered by by what's a kind of the standard case. Is, is that uh, kind of your way of thinking of it too? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the key thing is, is not necessarily saying that one, that they're all bad, right? Because they all have specific uh, purposes and they do specific things. I think the issue you run into at, at this point in the evolution of data is when you get to those base data APIs, sometimes they're sitting on top of just massive data lakes and the practicality yeah. of having to pull all that data just doesn't work, right? Because like, like looking at the industry as a whole, how much investment has been made in essentially map producing data, right? Just simply for the fact that the sheer volume of it is too much. And so all I'm really calling out cautionarily is that there it may be a place, because definitely there are times when you need to remove all the data for a system for a very good reason, or you need to you know put a large amount of data in. Definitely focusing on bulk operations, because the example is, and I think you would agree with me here, if I have a, a case where I'm literally trying to pull out years worth of data, it probably makes more sense to do that in a more condensed format, like a CSV, than it does a paginated JSON set. Yeah, that makes sense. That you you have different needs for different data, and so you want to be able to get to it in the format that makes sense for your particular use case. I think at this point, let's let's step back a little bit, right? I think uh, you know we've talked about APIs and REST, and uh, you know REST particularly is something that it's one of those things that uh, software developers should know what they're talking about, and we use it all the time. Uh, but for a person who finds themselves in a situation where they really don't know what REST is, but they're afraid, you know, they might look silly if they ask that kind of basic question. Uh, could you describe in your own words, what is REST anyway? Sure. So I think in this most basic form, what we're really looking at here is the ability to make a simple HTTP call, which could be as simple as a get, right? A simple get to a system, at which point I'm going to get back 
um, what we would call a document body, right? Which is essentially a stream of essentially text. Um, usually in the case of most APIs these days, that would come back in the form of JSON, JavaScript object notation language, or you know, in the more earlier days before I think we'd really standardized on JSON, you would see a bit of XML for sure. And then uh, even today, and I still think it's an appropriate use case, you may see actual formats like CSV because those provide, a, like I was saying earlier, a very compact way to transmit large volumes of data using the protocol effectively. And as we know, um, CSV streams exceptionally well as opposed to some of the other document formats. Sure, sure. So yeah, it's, it's uh, different formats. I, I guess you're kind of getting into some of the technical details right there of of things like um, you know using uh, verbose things like XML and JSON less so. Kind of the evolution of kind of uh, getting uh, more practical in our in our transports right in our serialization. Uh, what about things like protocol buffers and stuff like that? Are you uh, uh, seeing some use of that and and perhaps advocating that as well? You know, the vast majority of the stuff that I've seen traditionally, I, ha I have not seen as much of that take place. I mean, I think that, you know, as the data sizes increase, that is certainly something that I would expect to see more. But, you know, like out of the vast majority of APIs, I think one of the beauties in terms of the product management aspect of it is people have spent some efforts on trying to make them very user friendly so you don't have to have been, you know, someone who'd been coding for 20 years, right? That they're very yeah. approachable. And, and I think that's a really good thing. I think the other thing to consider is I am talking for my use case, which is primarily a back end use case. But obviously, there is an immense use case for also doing, you know, using some of these APIs from essentially a front-end application as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, yeah, there, there's definitely uh, different needs for different use cases. So who should care about APIs and their quality, and, and why should we care? So I think, the, I think the most interesting thing about this is I, I, we have to come to a fundamental understanding, especially in the age of, you know, SaaS software and most things being in the cloud, that there are products out there but that data is ours, right? Like yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Facebook and they have a feature where I can actually, you can actually go in there, URI, and you can download all of your data. And I, I, what I like about what they've done there is they have made a, made a point, which is we're not keeping you on Facebook just because we got your data. If you want to mm. take your data and go, you can go. You know, we're confident in our product. And the reality is, is that whether or not I've been using a product for one year or 20 years, that is my data, right? That's all the data of my business. And I should have the ability to access it and use it for any of my business purposes. That doesn't yeah. give me a, you know, a universal license to abuse whatever product that is, but that data is fundamentally mine. And so as in this age, we as consumers have to absolutely demand that every product we use have an API and we need to clearly message that data is ours. So keeping yeah. it locked up in that system, it you know is is uh, fundamentally wrong because you're basically you know trapping. You're holding what is mine from me, which I've been paying to use a service, but the data is still mine. 
I, I like that a lot, right? You're putting it in terms of ownership, that this information about me belongs to me and, uh, and having rights, uh, you know, really um, expressed uh, explicitly about uh, who, who this belongs to. And, uh, you know, that, that's really important to make sure that those things are, are known and, uh, and accessible. Uh, so uh, that's a good example of that. And so what is the problem, really? You know, you described kind of the, the different forms of API and that if I have a question that I want to ask that these reporting APIs aren't necessarily always there and being, being accessible to answer the question that I want, making me go through some gymnastics and some, some hoops to get the answers. What other problems do you see? Are, are there some more things uh, that, uh, that some API standards could address? Yep. I, and I think the other thing is just size of data, right? And, and mm. it's a very fair thing. People place API call restrictions on most APIs. It, it's a very fair thing, right? Because it's kind of like, you know, the same way reason why like I lock my front door, right? It's like it keeps everyone, it, like it sets a clear boundary on where the rules are. Yeah. And that that's okay. But then what you find is with a lot of APIs, to answer some of those questions, particularly if it's not a reporting API, I bump up against the API call limits, right? So here I've got a case where I want to answer a pretty in-depth business question that really requires me to do quite a bit of, you know, if you will, potentially data mining or a large extraction of data, because if I can't ask the fundamental question, and, we, and there are APIs that, because of the API call restrictions, you may find yourself, for me to get an answer to this question, it'll take me two weeks, right? Because if I properly throttle and use these requests, two weeks from now I'll have the question. And of course, I'm sure you know where this goes. By the time I get the answer to that question, it's two weeks old. Now I'd like to know what the next state of that question is, and it'd be another two weeks. Or if that begets another question, maybe that's four weeks worth of data mining. And so looking at you know, call volumes, but more importantly, how you structure your API to maximize the data transmission has got to be paramount as well, because it's not very useful if it's going to take me a month to answer one question. Yeah, yeah, you know, you. I, I guess that kind of goes back to the last question I was asking about. You've really painted the picture of both consumers and producers of API having some strong incentives for, uh, you know, presenting the right thing in the right way in the first place. Uh, you know, producers who are paying for this bandwidth and and you know need to have uh, have some controls on that and considerations uh, as to what it is that they're sending back and all of those things. And uh, the consumers as well that uh, being able to easily answer the questions that they need. Uh, and not running up against limits and all of those kinds of things. Uh, it benefits everybody. So uh, th I think that's a, a pretty good picture of that. So if you pull out your crystal ball and look forward into the future, what do you think the future holds for where API technology is going to go? Uh, do you think we're going to address some of these things? I think we absolutely are. There's no doubt that with just the explosion of big data sets, that those are only going to get larger as time goes on. And I think that, you know, it's very exciting um, when you're out, you know, kind of talking to people in the industry to see just how many places have made investments into, um, you know, large data store type, you know, Hadoop things with MapReduces on top of them. And that, I think that's going to become more and more commonplace to where we're very much going to get to a place where we can say, these are the basic metrics and dimensions that I want to answer this question and systems will be able to address that 
question very specifically and very quickly. And then, of course, there'll always be the use case for then, after answering all the summary questions, you almost always want to start digging deeper in data mining. And so those may be bigger and longer and more expensive operations. But we'll really see, I think, a whole entire optimization on top of whatever stack you're using to just get those answers almost immediately. Yeah, it's definitely a, a bright future. When, when there's pain, uh, you know, people kind of uh, tend to come together to try to resolve that pain and make things better, especially uh, when they're feeling it themselves. So uh, we've talked about kind of the importance of good APIs and, uh, you know, the, the, the importance for providers. More fundamentally, right? Who should have an API? I think you know it's it's starting to grow more and more that a lot of services are providing APIs and hooks that for integrations and all of those kinds of things. But uh, I mean, if I'm putting up a you know a a new web project, uh, what are the conditions where I should think about exposing an API for my system? You know, I think I think that's an absolutely great question because you can just see how the explosion of essentially cloud-powered applications, and I, I think the. The key thing is, if you're collecting data, right, because there's different kinds of things, you know, in terms of APIs, but I think, you know, you could almost make an argument for just about any system. So, like, here's a great example um, of an application, you know, I came across the other day. Are you familiar with Pocket at all? Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's a a little bit like Instapaper, right? It's kind of uh, saving something to read later. Correct. And so here's an example of, you know, I understand that the content is, you know, like those are essentially news articles and those don't necessarily belong to me. But what is fundamentally interesting is, is I do still feel like the process of me curating that collection and what that collection is, is mine. And there's an example of, and they do have an API that I should be able to keep that data. So I think anytime you're essentially building a metadata store, or actual data, you know what I mean? So you could look at it from a CRM perspective, something like a a Zendesk where I've got, you know, incoming support tickets and I handle those. Well, all those support tickets are definitely mine and that should absolutely have an API. Then you get into some of these more, you know, social aggregators or metadata collectors. In the case where it's an aggregation service and it's metadata on top of that, um, that metadata should still be available to an API so that I can curate that and keep that for myself. And I think the key thing is, is look at the successes of people like Facebook who created an entire app ecosystem and how many people are writing apps and integrations and building in there. And so extending your platform to allow people to enhance it further, I think you can't deny the crowdsourcing element of that. Sure, sure. Yeah, and uh, exposing your, we already talked a little bit about exposing your data so that you can have access to it. I, I'm thinking uh, basically of, of the example there, right? You, you were talking about uh, Pocket. Uh, you know, Feedly, I think, has you know, some, some similar kind of ways, right, that you can, you can get access to your feeds. And a lot of podcast players, too, I, and it will export to a, uh, to a standard XML format that can then be imported to another application uh, so that you can have your same feeds and all of that stuff. It uh, doesn't have any of the meta information about what you've already listened to and some of those things, which I think would be ideal as well. Uh, but, you know, really uh, democratizing some of those things, making it accessible to you in a way that you can use it, uh, just like you said with Facebook, right? I can take my information, use it somewhere else, and, and be confident in the product that, that uh, this product is, is something worth using on its own rather than just being a matter of locked-in data. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I, you know, and I think one of the, the most important things here is people are making great software, be confident in your software, right? And I think yeah. the API is an extension of that. People will stay because your product is awesome, 
they'll eventually find a way to leave if the only thing keeping them there is the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compete on awesome software. That's, that's really a great way to put it. What, is, what standards already exist? Are there some of these things out there already that are kind of uh, pushing people toward this stuff? Or is this uh, kind of a, a, a completely wild west kind of a thing? Well, I mean, once again, obviously, you go to any tech conference, there is a ton of leadership around how to structure you know, RESTful APIs. There's a ton of frameworks pushing all that. Um, I, I just, to be clear, the differentiator that I think I'm bringing to the forefront is the fundamental content that we're trying to push or you're trying to push through the APIs. Because I've seen far too many cases where we've built an entire integration into a system and then to find out that this fundamental piece of data isn't available through the API or you can't get at that measure or metric. And, it, and even though it was the most beautiful REST JSON API you've ever seen with perfect pagination, those fundamental gaps make it then almost worthless. And so uh, there aren't, you know, there's a lot of great people out there, like I said, pushing the other standards, but, you know, the standards for APIs.org is the one where we've been trying to push getting, you know, getting people to think more holistically about the APIs. And certainly some of what we push is a little bit of design structure, because I, I do, one other thing I do want to call attention to is people are definitely in the REST age really should version their APIs, meaning that there should mm. be a current version minus one because you shouldn't force people to update to the latest API. And also, if you're going to cause breaking changes, you really need the N minus one so people have a chance to migrate. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a, one of those pieces of uh, making a good API, right? So the, uh, the URL that you cited there about, um, about the API standards going forward, is that controlled by you? I, I kind of got the impression that that was, that that was your place. Is that right? Um, th yeah, so that is, an, an, I mean, mine, uh, I think, is a little too strong. It's, uh, okay. it, it is um, an effort uh, that the company I currently work for, uh, Domo, has um, stood behind. And so there's a, a bunch of us here, uh, you know, going out in support of that. And we went on a, a three-city tour um, and had a discussion with people across a variety of industries, an open discussion. Um, just trying to bring about these thought ideas into the community. So, you know, the, the point is, is I, I, for it to be ours, I don't think is the case. We really do want to hear from people and we really want to engage in essentially a thought leadership that's not just owned by us. Okay, so it's created by Domo and uh, owned by the community, I guess, is kind of the, uh, the, the gist of what you said there. Am, yes. I, am I saying that yes. right? Okay. Yes, the long-term vision is, is we want to build a community around it of people that are adopting um, some of the standards we're trying to push. And we're also taking input from the community because a lot of when we went on our, um, on our roadshow, if you will, you know, we were asking people for their input and their thoughts. And okay. there was quite a bit of interesting feedback in the process. Okay. Well, I was going to ask you about, you know, why should I listen to this particular uh, organization, right? This, this particular thing. But I, I think you've answered that, right? You, you've, you've addressed that this is more of a community effort. Uh, I guess the question then is, um, why Domo? What, what, what's, the, uh, what's the insight? Why, why, why should uh, the listener out there who's interested in API quality listen to what you guys have to say? So um, we have, um, I head up the area of uh, connectors and we have built over 500 connections into different APIs. So, you know, um, we have done this time and time again 
with a variety of systems across a variety of industries. And so we've seen a lot of what, it, what um, is offered in the industry and a lot of the approaches. And so we have that wide perspective. And so part of what we're trying to do is saying, hey, after doing this this many times, here's what we've seen. Here are some areas of concern and here are some things to think about that'll make this better for all of us. Because as I talked about earlier, the idea that you can you know, democratize data within your company, your organization, and across your products, I just don't see how you're going to be able to you know, push forward into the, this basically golden age of data we're in without being able to interchange data like that. Because uh, you know, one of the great things that our product does is give you a vision you know, and insight across your entire business pulling data from all these data sources so that you can have really engaging conversations about that data and really optimize your business. Okay, yeah, no, nothing like experience, right? You've run up against a lot of the problems just because you are consuming so many APIs. So it makes sense that you would know something about this, and especially from the consumer's perspective, uh, you know, what it's like to deal with APIs that are uh, less than, than desirable and, and less than what you're looking for. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense, and, and I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons learned from that. So how about the uh, road trip, right? Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. What did that look like? Why did you decide that that was the right venue to get this discussion going and just uh, how did it go did it bear some fruit it definitely bared some fruit it you know the the idea was it's one thing to kind of put out a website put out some papers which certainly we did that too but it's a totally different thing i think to connect individually one-on-one with developers because i i think it's disingenuous when you say hey here's some problems that i'm seeing with apis and there was a reason why people made some of those decisions. So to go back to some of the use cases, where it's like, I really needed this one piece of data, and then it turns out architecturally in that given system that that's actually a really hard thing to do mm. because it may create some system performance problems. And so you'll talk to people and they're like, yeah, I could really see how you need that. The, the reason why we didn't do that was this, but you know, it starts this discussion of, wow, I could really see how we, you know, we need to make this investment. So it was more about, you know, I, I guess, trying to say, hey, here's some pain we feel, but like, what pain are you feeling? And understanding what, what it felt like to be on both sides of the issue. And just you know, like with anything, the more points of view, the more people you include, the more insightful those conclusions become. And so going out there and you know, uh, you know, walking the pavement a little bit, I think really helped us. Yeah, contributing to understanding, I, th I think, is great. You know, it, it is. I, I think you made a good point there about that. Uh, if I'm saying, hey, this is bad, I've seen examples of this, it's really easy to get defensive and say, you know, hey, I, I, I've done that. And to say, you know, hey, who are you to tell me that I'm doing it wrong? Uh, rather than taking a you're doing it wrong approach, you're talking about your experiences. Here's what I've had to deal with and why I've had some problems with it. And, you know, kind of here's the case for uh, some, some ways that we might do this better that creates a better experience. So I think that's that's really cool. So in a perfect world, right, if, if you uh, project forward to a place where everything is exactly the way that you would like it, right, uh, what would it be like? What would the experience be like for a developer consuming an API without having any prior knowledge of just kind of how it works and, and what it's doing? What do you think would be the ideal experience? Well, I think the first thing is 
every API um, in that vision would have an API Explorer tool. Uh, I don't know if you're, I'm assuming you're familiar with those where effectively there's a little web console I can go into and hit the endpoints mm, and look yeah. at what returns. Because I think that fundamentally gives, gives me an experience with it before I've written any code, right? So now I can see what all the different behaviors are without having to stub that out on my end. Because that's certainly an expensive, you know, it's a little bit more of an expensive process. And I'm not saying you can't do it with curl and postman, but it's really nice when someone guides me to yeah. the flow of the API and you lose that context. Yeah, you're seeing kind of a sample user interface kind of uh, that, that you might be doing something along those lines. You're seeing what requests and responses look like as you interf interface with, uh, as you interact, I should say, with, uh, with these, uh, the, the, you know, the uh, particular endpoints and all of that kind of stuff. So just some good examples of kind of the thing in action, I guess, is, is a big part of that. Yeah, ab absolutely. And then I think the second piece to that is, you know, to have an API that allows me to look at specific questions and to your point may be able to extend into a more base data use case but in in a in a scenario where i can get very compact result sets or mm, if yeah. i need to i've got a uh trans you know a, a way to transmit that data that travels in bulk well too so you kind of got to look at the bulk operations and you got to look at the individual operations and i think th those two distinct ones looking at both reporting and the administrative functions makes a lot of sense I think that's great. And uh, so you've done a lot of consuming of APIs doing these connectors to expose for Domo. I imagine Domo itself is probably exposing a lot of APIs as well. Do you have some, uh, maybe not as much, but do you have some, some experience in the world of uh, being an API provider as well? Yes, absolutely. So we do, just like anyone else, we have an API. We have um, an administration portion of our API to manage, as we talked about, those, you, you know, user and group related tasks, as well as um, have a, a RESTful API for getting data in and out of our system. And then further extending it from there, we even have a, um, an SDK whereby which you can actually make, uh, extend our system and make what we call apps that run within our system. And that's essentially, you know, an Angular type, um, app, you know, web application that fits within our product that allows you to connect to our data layer and create your own very, very custom and spe specific visualizations. Okay, make it pretty easy to test out what you're doing too, I imagine, is uh, probably the case there. Yep. So back to back to that perfect world, right? That we went to for for you know what it's like for a consumer. Uh, can you paint me the picture there as well of what it looks like to be uh, creating an API, right? What's the uh, experience like for the producer of APIs in a in this uh, idealized world? Well, I think definitely we will have flushed out the use cases um, to a larger degree than we have before, meaning that. We're now where we're putting out these ideas about base state APIs, reporting APIs, administrative APIs, I think it'll kind of be by default that you'll have all three to some extent as it makes sense for your system. And so that will be there. And I think that the same way the frameworks have done an amazing job. So for those of us that have been with us for a while, right, back in the day, you had to do quite a bit of work to structure your responses. And now the frameworks make it very easy to create JSON objects and parse JSON objects. And I think that we'll be extending those frameworks into those use cases to where it's you fall into success very easily trying to create a 
you know, an administrative API or a base data API or a reporting API, that all those fundamental stubs will be there and it'll just push you in that direction very easily without having to break a lot of inertia. But yeah, that sounds great. So standards are like uh, kind of like the interfaces uh, for the classes in your code, right? I, we're often uh, you know creating those explicitly and thinking through the abstraction before getting into implementation. Uh, I think uh, it's often also the opposite, right? That we've got an existing implementation and we're trying to pull out the abstractions a little bit. Uh, APIs are probably uh, pretty similar to that. Uh, in the in the world of kind of real world uh, implementation of APIs, um, who is out there that could serve as kind of the exemplars that uh, you know could be could become a standard. What, what are some of the people who you think are doing it right already? So uh, I would definitely say Salesforce. Um, for anyone familiar with that API, they've got an amazing um, REST API, and what it does is they've created this um, SQL query language. And so what it allows you to do is essentially it's an object query language but you can use that to tailor the exact result set you want to get back from that API, from their API. So if I'm just focused on a certain number of records with a certain a number of fields, I can absolutely just query the system for those and return them. And I think that that's probably, and the other thing that's really key here is authentication, right? One of the mm. things that I don't like in the current age is doing anything other than OAuth because the wonderful part about you know, doing an OAuth implementation is the user has the ability to one revoke the or the the person granting the access has the ability to revoke it at any point. However, you never ever ever share any type of username or password with the person at, you know asking for the access, and it also clearly requires that person to represent to you these are the exact things I'm pulling from this other system on your behalf. And these are the permissions I want. And I'm sure we've all seen this in Facebook where you go to do a, a Facebook app and it'll say, do you grant this app permissions to see your friends list, right? And in some cases you're like, yeah, I'm okay with that. In other cases you're like, I, I don't know if I am, but I'm given that choice up front. Everything is clearly spelled out to me. And at a certain point, if I need to revoke access, I know that that access is immediately burnt. I knew what the scope of the access was. I knew what the duration was. And, you know, that's really murky when you're doing, dealing with user IDs and passwords and sometimes API keys. I got to go into the system. I got to revoke the token. And I, it's, just a much, it's just a much cleaner, safer, better way to, to go when it comes to authenticating APIs. Really nice to give consumers choice about what they are able to authorize and those things. So, so that is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about OAuth, but before that, I want to back up to uh, talking about that Salesforce API and that query language uh, being available there. That sounds to me like kind of a hybrid between the uh, the base data APIs and the um, the, the the reporting APIs. Uh, that you know that I'm able to query some of that base data, but uh, do some filtering and and bring it down to uh, the, the useful piece of it. W would, you, would you characterize it as, as either you know, base data or, or reporting, or maybe am I looking at it all wrong? No, I think you're looking at it right, but they're a further exemplar because to your point, I can use the SoCal interface to do that, but they also provide a bulk operations API, meaning that there is a way for me to bulk put records in and mm. pull records out if I want to do that at mass. So that's another example of how they've really thought that use case through uh, quite effectively. 
Yeah, yeah. So back to OAuth, right? I mean, I think it's 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 a wonderful standard, and it enables all of those things that you were talking about of the consumer having control and being able to you know go back to Twitter and revoke access revoke access for particular applications and all of those things, and uh, and, and that's cool. Are there uh, some downsides to OAuth? Are there some things you wish were better about it? You know, at the at the current time, I'm really looking at you know the OAuth two standards. Um, I've at this point, I think we've probably done the, I have to get the exact number, but it's definitely over 80 OAuth implementations. I feel like OAuth 2 did struggle early on because it, the standards weren't completely solidified. Mm. So we did see a lot of variation. So I think in terms of OAuth, it would be nice if we could get some more standardization, at least in terms of the part where and the, the most key part for those people familiar with the protocol, there's the part where I need to essentially redirect the user to back to the, so the, the transaction starts for me. I, for example, if we want to connect up uh, Salesforce, I will forward you from us to a, pay, a landing page in Salesforce that will clearly spell out what uh, actions I want to do on your behalf and what you're granting me rights to. Then what, if you agree to that, uh, you're redirected back to my site. At that point, I need to exchange essentially what is called the code for the access token. And at that layer, there's a lot of ambiguity with some of the implementations. So Salesforce has done their implementation exactly as you would expect to happen with the spec. But I see a lot of people in that interchange part where sometimes they just redirect you back and give you the access token, which is really not the protocol. And then I see a lot of different payloads for when I go ahead and exchange the code for the access token. I've seen some come back as XML. I've seen some come back as JSON. I've seen some come back as URL encoded document body. And it'd be really great if, you know, we could really get everyone to just give the a JSON object back with the access token, the refresh token, and the expiry ubiquitously all named the same way. Because there's a lot of customizations you have to do on that flow to kind of adapt to that. And just be nice if that were automatic. Yeah, it sounds like it, it's, it, it may be that the standard is not specific enough, or it may be just that uh, that there are a lot of individual actors who are not necessarily uh, working according to the standard. I, I'm not sure which is true, but uh, yeah, getting more more consistent in that flow just uh, makes things easier for everybody to not have to re-implement that all over the place. Uh, so, but uh, the, the the idea of the standard, you know, when I first saw this idea that you know you're you're being bounced around right as a, as a user in your browser, and I come to a particular site and then I'm being bounced around to another site and back. Uh, it seems uh, like a lot and it seems complicated, but uh, for the consumer, it's really a very simple experience, right? It's just, you know, I, I go to, I go back to Google and I, I say, yeah, yeah, do this thing. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm back on Domo and, and I'm, I'm off and running, right? I mean, is, is that uh, kind of the, uh, the experience that you typically see as a, as a consumer with these things? Yeah, I think that you've hit on probably one of the most important points, user experience. So under the a API key example, it's really hard to sometimes know, well, okay, so I need an API key. Where do I get that? How do I provision it? Do I need to be an admin in the system, right? And the OAuth model makes it as easy as, oh, look, now I'm at Google. Okay, I know my Google user ID and password. Type it in, get prompted to understand what I'm granting access to and click OK, and next thing you know, you know, I'm back in the product, the, the authentication step is complete, and now I can start working. I think that's just a far better experience. 
And you could argue that, well, if you just code user name and password in the front of whatever, whatever you're building, you can also provide that. But then you're circumventing, I think, the uh, wonderful part of the security mm. that OAuth implements. Plus, and the most key thing that I think people forget, well, I mean, how, many, how often do you change a password, right? You know, if people don't do that um, of their own accord, it's usually forced on them pretty regularly. Yeah. So now your integration breaks, right? And it's broken. Now the person has to come and uh, sign, um, you know, come back, sign, re-authenticate your application, sign back in, make all that happen versus where the OAuth has the refresh token model so that can go on in perpetuity. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing, too, about making you give me your password for some other service, right, is that in order for me to use that thing, right, I mean, if, if your password is on my site, then I can use salting and hashing and, and all of that kind of stuff so that I don't know what your password is. But if I have to actually use that password to log into another service, it has to be retrievable by me, right? And that's a lot of trust for you to put in somebody to say, hey, you know, here's here's my password to my Google account or perhaps something even more sensitive than that to say, hey, you know, here's my password and you can use it on my behalf and uh, and you can recover it and you've got you know administrators in your system that can go in there and probably get access to my password whereas you know with with OAuth there's never any of that so I think that's really important yeah I completely agree I just think security wise it's it's the the best way to go and you know it doesn't it doesn't take a ton of analysis to look at you know, people like Google, people like Facebook, people like Salesforce, people like Twitter, they're all using um, OAuth implementations. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's, that's a really good thing to emulate. I don't see very many, I don't, they don't offer anything in the API key realm and they have strict user policies against accepting a user ID and password, right? Like yeah. that's a clear violation of their terms of use. And they're doing that for, for everyone's uh, best interest because they want to protect people's data. Makes sense. Yeah. So security, right, is obviously important and a big piece of, of OAuth. Uh, what else should developers and businesses know and keep in mind about API security? You know, obviously, it, it doesn't, it, a lot of the stuff is well documented and well published, and we just, and we just need to follow it. Right. And so I think one of the best examples is, you know, if you can at all avoid it, do not be putting query string parameters in you know, transmitting most of the key information as an HTTP header is the best way to do it. Document body as a second, query string as a third. Obviously, in this day and age, if you're not using encrypted connections, that's you just, you know, hugely egregious. And, you know, a, you know, an SSL cert is so inexpensive at this point that, you know, we can't, we can't ignore that. And, and I think that, you know, when you start to build your API, just remembering, you know, making your authentication model with the OAuth and how you manage your sessions, making that the first thing you design will always lead you in the right direction. Makes sense. And yeah, SSL, I mean, even to the point of being free now with Let's Encrypt, right? So uh, lots of good things happening there and security just getting more and more accessible, uh, much like APIs, right? So uh, all good stuff with that. So uh, I'm really uh, big into services like IFTTT and Zapier and some of those things, right? I think that has a lot in common with Domo, where, you know, the, this uh, mashup of information from, from different places and being able to uh, connect events in one system to, to actually 
actions happening in another. And I think it's all uh, really cool stuff. Uh, do you see uh, some, some big things coming in the future? Where do you see kind of this uh, API mashup kind of thing going? Yeah, I, I think it's been one of the most interesting things to watch and it's just extremely enjoyable to see the things people create. So when you talk about IFTT, just the, the maker channel. So for those that aren't aware of it, they provide what they call a maker channel. And this allows you to essentially, without having to build a, a formal channel within IFTT. So example, if I wanted to integrate my Raspberry Pi with an IFTT step, it allows me to essentially send, you know, do a, a uh, REST call into my Raspberry Pi. And so it's enabled this like consumerization where if there isn't everything I need in the ecosystem, I can build my own thing. And I think what's going to be, there's going to be an explosion of in the next few years is just all these amazing Internet of Things devices that people are just going to essentially, you know, build in their garage that are going to get just some of the most amazing consumer products we touch. Definitely. That's, that's a, a bright future. And I like all of that stuff. So uh, one of the uh, ways I think that we can think about good APIs, right? And we've talked a lot about things that make APIs good. Um, but, uh, you know, we can think about the opposite, right? Some of those things to avoid. And I think we've hit on some of those. Uh, but can you name some kind of uh, API anti-patterns or just tell me about some things that we definitely should not be doing? I think the key thing is, is please put away all the, the SOAP APIs. Um, mm. At this point, I think the, the the battle is lost. I think REST has you know, become the ubiquitous standard. And so it's time to put those aside. The other thing that I see, which is, a, is also a major no-no, and this is, happens more as a result of things like SOAP, where you're doing more of a protocol type operation, where you'll find that um, all of a sudden the object you're receiving is a language specific object. Oh, so, yeah. so you go to get like a date time, but now it's a date time object for a language that you're not working in. So the interoperability is completely destroyed. And yeah. we've seen a few of those. And so what you do is you, you basically have to cast the thing to a string and then parse it. And it's not that it can't be done, but definitely not the, you know, go ahead and use an ISO date format. Don't think of things in terms of passing direct objects, but think of, you know, in terms of what your object model is in your application. Think about what the universal object model should be as, it, as you're making your API available to all kinds of developers across all kinds of platforms and focus on that. And I think that that's probably one of the, you know, the anti-examples of if, you know, if you're really into one programming language and you code it so that your API really just works well with that, I think you're ignoring the entire ecosystem of people who want to connect. Especially today, you know, all over the place, there's so many different things in use. Uh, it is really nice, like you mentioned at some point earlier, that uh, we, you know, libraries are getting a lot better. That we can lean on some of those to serialize those out to standard formats and some of those things. So, uh, you know, there's, there are a lot of good resources to avoid that kind of anti pattern. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, so, how can developers and businesses uh, and consumers as well, right? How can they get better educated about APIs and good APIs and API standards and all this stuff we're talking about? Yep. So uh, definitely uh, visit our standardsforapis.org website. Um, the other thing is, is I, I think what I want to really call attention to is, you know, there's lots of opportunities at conferences. There's lots of opportunities at local users groups. You know, don't make this, uh, th- this isn't necessarily my cause. We're all going to benefit from this. I really uh, you know, encourage people to engage in thought leadership through all the avenues that they can. So by writing papers, 
by talking at conferences and let's really explore these ideas because I think the more of us that jump on this and the more of us that you know really make that a focus of our APIs, we're just going to make all these applications and the interconnected of the interconnection of the internet so much better and we're just going to enable just some amazing things. So, so where do we go from here, right? I mean, uh, you, you've given some good resources there. Uh, what, what are some other ways that, uh, that listeners out there can, can say, hey, you know, I'm going to uh, get involved in this quest and, and do some better things for making APIs better for the future? Yeah, so I think one thing is we all owe it to ourselves to build an integration to an API, right? So most of the audience listening to this most likely knows how to code. Most systems offer uh, a free sandbox to try. So, you know, I recommend picking an API, something that you're passionate about, something that you're interested in. Build that integration, work with that API, something that you have no control over. And, you know, think about some fundamental things you're trying to do with that and then go after it and see where the problems are. And then really, you know, start, start putting out in the communities hey, I used your API, I thought it was great, but here's some things that I was trying to do that it didn't support. Offer a lot more of those opinions and ideas to help us all get better because in a vacuum of feedback, things aren't going to change. Well, great. Yeah, that sounds like great advice. There's no substitute for doing. So go out and do it and, uh, and just get it done. I like that. So uh, uh, thank you, Andy, very much for joining me on Software Engineering Daily and sharing your insight and passion uh, around something of great importance. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me.